Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey everybody, welcome to episode 185 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down there in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. What do we got here? First of all, we have a um, bit of an Ask MTJC. Who's going to do this one? You or me, Jaime? Let's see. Uh, I guess I'll do it, So, <laughs> which is funny. So uh, this one is, is us saying mm-hmm. uh, we're taking the week off because there is literally nothing to talk about. So uh, I was out but, last week and um, there wasn't much news i think we just sort of took a little hiatus a little a little brief vacation for that one week well actually to be honest with you my my post was actually completely sarcastic because um we had decided to take the week off but then i but then there was a story about the notch right in in the you know the notch that's the horrible thing in the iphone 10 is now appearing on several um manufacturers of of android devices right in fact i think in the post i've got here there's at least four of them uh where is it right i think because mobile world congress was probably happening around right. this time mm-hmm. yeah is that what it is yeah so you know and it's like um let's see uh asus has a zen phone that has uh two models of zen phone that have a notch in them and ligu s9 has a has a notch and of course noah n10 i don't know who that's phi sounds like nokia but it's not i guess and that highway one you guys mentioned last week they have a p20 that apparently has it. and you were saying today that the, the p upper uh, android p just dropped today yes as of uh today which is uh, we're recording here on Wednesday, March 7th. Uh, Android P, the developer preview, came out today and it officially supports within the operating system uh, the concept of a notch and in, in dealing with things kind of similar to the way that it roughly works in uh, iOS to handle the iPhone X's notch, as an example. But I think very critically, you know, Tim, you brought up these these other phones. These other phones are hilarious because they're not running on Android P, oh, developer really? preview. And so like, you can see their UI element is getting cut off by the notch itself. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we mean like 
like like battery warnings or whatever. Yeah, and like clock that. and other things. I think the clock moved sides or something. I'm not a, I'm not an Android user, so I don't know. But, but I mean, it it's like like the, the difference left. between an iPhone 10 layout and an iPhone 8 layout, where like we have things missing behind there. You mean? Sure, like like that sort of thing. Like if you hadn't updated your app to be compatible with the yeah. safe area layout. Yeah. Well, I just I think I think I think it's hilarious that uh, I, li- I like the title in this one is bo- bonus notches, bonus notches. But uh, that you know for all the bashing we took for months about this notch is non-existent i mean the notch that you and you and i and mark none of us look at you know we look at it occasionally it's funny though i it, i shouldn't say i don't look at the notch because as i'm walking around and i see other people on their phones if i see a notch i know it's an iphone 10 like it just my brain just goes oh look iphone 10 and then same thing if the camera orientation is is uh vertical instead of horizontal my immediately notice notice that it's a 10 right so until everybody else starts copying them and then you'll never know again right you have to take a closer look but i just think it's funny that the the, the fact that we decided to take a week off when there was nothing to talk about and, and it literally is nothing is the notch that's my joke <laughs> it's also kind of funny like they're, they're talking to these manufacturers like, hey why do you have this notch like oh we wanted to make our device look distinctive which is what yeah, you mean yeah, distinctively yeah. like the iphone is that <laughs> perhaps you did not finish the quote there um the other thing yeah. is that i mean I, I i'm probably an apologist on this where i think of it not as a notch but as extra ears that give me more real <laughs> estate right like not in every case but in a lot of cases like you know looking at photos or something um but at the very least there is like a logical reason why that notch is there right it's predominantly because of uh, face id's technology and how that works these other devices at least the ones that i saw and so far they don't have face id so their notch is actually bigger than it needs to be just so it can look more like the iphone 10's notch rather than the smaller notch slash widow's peak that the essential phone had the one that launched a couple months before the iphone 10 and you don't think they're they're looking at that what's that called true image um uh camera that that uses for the infrared you don't think they're planning on having that in the phone i mean maybe eventually at some point um you know when face id technology you know, or the rough equivalent becomes available to other manufacturers similar to where that touch id sort of made its way eventually you know some rough competitor um like mm-hmm. on the samsung and android side but today as, you know as those devices are being released like they're just bigger for no reason like you could make it a lot smaller because you would only need the what the camera and the proximity sensor and probably the microphone or the, the not the microphone the speaker part that you're listening to the audio out of you know when making a phone call mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean it, it is very clear that they're doing this just so um they can ape the iphone's style in that sense and i'm guessing google sort of had like no choice but to help support those otherwise their platform would end up with you know oh man this android thing sucks look i can't even see half the damn content at the top here like google doesn't want that right so i think the path of least resistance for them is to support the notch area with a you know a more sensible operating system layout and doing whatever the equivalent of safe area layout is for their operating system. Yeah, it's funny. And by the way, a, tr- a real-time follow-up, it's True Depth Camera, which projects and reads over 30,000 infrared dots to form a depth map of your face, plus a 2D image. The ironic thing about right. the notch is that uh, there's all sorts of rumors already that the next generation of the iPhone 10 or whatever it's called, is going to have a smaller if a smaller notch, if it even is there at all. They might get rid of it. Yeah, I heard that too today. So, yeah, I was surprised so, by that one. Yeah, so if that happens, we'll have a whole year next year of only Android phones having having this notch. Mm. That would be hilarious if it comes to pass that way. Yeah, um, I was reading about that as well, and I was a little skeptical that they could do it like in one year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, kudos if they do, but I was like, well, maybe they'll stick with this 
relative form factor for two years. And then, you know, that second cycle, like past the S cycle would be the one that would have it. But so you'll think there'd be an iPhone 10S or 10. What did we say? 10 series two was Greg's yeah. or 10, <laughs> yeah. 10, 10 dash two was mine. Uh, um, I mean, maybe it, it depends on whether the iPhone 10 was really supposed to come out this past year as it did, or if it was semi delayed from where Apple had intended to come out with it the prior year, which would give it a oh, full two years yeah. if you're coming up to this next year. Interesting. Yeah. One, uh, my one pet peeve about the iPhone 10 compared to like an eight or a seven is that, or six, is that when you pick it up, if you pick it up upside down and, and the notch is facing down, it will not wake up, right? You can't like, you know, you could, you have to flip it over to what it considers its, its proper orientation. Have you guys noticed that? What if you're standing on your head? What if you're standing on your head? Good point, Mark. <laughs> Good point. But would the face, would the face ID recognize you if you're standing on your head too? Yeah, that's the other question. That's, well, that's, right? that's why it might work. Yeah. Hmm. Tim, I've, I've had that one happen not too frequently. I think the one that's more frequent yeah. to me because I need to be a better person to be quite honest. Um, I'm, I'm too connected is that I'll like, you know, I'll wake up and then like the first thing I do is look at my phone and see what I've missed, you know, cause I wake up kind of no later way. and like my squinty eyes and I'm like still adjusting to being in the conscious world. It means that sometimes the face ID fails. Oh really? Uh, huh? Yeah. I mean, far as I, I know, it doesn't. Face ID fails if, if, uh, like if I, if I'm yawning or if I, you know, if I'm, you know, putting a pop tart in my mouth or something at the time that if I'm trying to wake it up, I find it fails that way. But generally speaking, it's pretty good, right? So, and as we talked about before, it, it actually does update, you know, if, if it fails and then you enter your passcode, it updates the image with whatever your current state of being is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Conscious or not. Yeah. Um, our next Ask MTJC follow-up or our next follow-up actually is a re- reply we got to um, our comments or t- stories about uh, Bitcoin. And apparently the, uh, this is a post from uh, Wayan that uh, the Bitcoin pizza guy is at it again, apparently. And it talks about the same guy who bought the uh, $10,000 bit or 10,000 Bitcoin pizza is back in business again here in a post. Eight years ago, he bought the pizza, by the way. But uh, that's a follow up on what we were talking about before, right? Yeah, it, it's uh, I, I don't know what the current value is now. I think it's down off of a high, but it's certainly if they were able to hang on to those Bitcoins way back in the day, it was a good deal for that yeah. guy. And whoever's got it now is a fantastic yeah. deal for them. Well, at the bottom of the post here, it says that it was about, worth about $30 back in May 22nd, 2010, when he bought the pizza. So that was seven years ago, eight years ago. And uh, now that's $100 million for the same 10,000 Bitcoin. So that's an expensive pizza. Yeah. Mind you, I suppose if you bought a pizza in Roman times, you know, you'd probably pay, you know, way less pennies than you would today, right? Relatively speaking. No, 2,000 years doesn't equate wow. to like 10 in Bitcoin. <laughs> it gets tricky <laughs> because they, the whole economy was, was sort of different back then where like they, they could literally pay people in salt because salt was difficult to That's acquire. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a person is worth their salt like that was more literal back then. Yeah, really hadn't thought about that one. Cool. All right. Well, moving into our follow-up area, we have um, uh, Facebook's algorithm. Uh, apparently, there's a post here from Business Insider, UK Business Insider, about uh, a website called Little Things, which is a sort of a subject matter that relates to women, is shutting down because apparently, uh, because of the changes in Facebook's algorithm, again, has uh, basically caused them to lose millions of uh, millions of readers or, mil- or access to millions of readers, I guess. Um, I, thought I saw a number here where they had... Yeah, yeah, they had over in, in 2014. They had over 12 million Facebook followers, and they're, they're right down. They're literally closing their doors because it's uh, the algorithm has changed so much that they they're getting absolutely no links at all from not being able to get through to their uh, their readership. But I've also noticed too that we were talking about this before the show that um, uh, again on Spark CBC Radio they were talking on Sunday an episode about um, algorithm.
algorithms that uh, are, have changed, and, and I wasn't aware till you guys told me that um, Instagram also has a, a similar um, algorithm to um, pad your feed, right? It all has to do with, with showing uh, showing ads as well, too, doesn't it? Ultimately, yes, because it's 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 a little easier to get you accustomed to seeing things that are not necessarily based on time first, and right. then okay. say, well, you know, Peter Piper Pizza, you know, or Instagram tends to have things like, oh, you should buy this like awesome handbag or these awesome sneakers, you know, or go to this awesome hotel in like Thailand or something. But and it's think, not showing me my my the people I follow in in chronological order, I guess, which is the, which is the issue, right? Um, that people are complaining about. Like, I I, I, I just I don't know why I naively thought that that's what the, what the case was with say especially with Twitter. But I noticed in Twitter too that they have like a I'll show you a couple of tweets and then they'll show you something about oh you may want to follow this or you may have missed this kind of stuff right a lot in in the feed. But it brings it to the point. So they they mentioned this this Vero V E R O um, social networking site that uh, promises to never <laughs> you know never is a long time promises to never um, not show your chronological feed of of the people you follow or the things you follow right yeah I mean um, I mean I wish them all the best maybe maybe they'll be the ones to to crack it um, but if they're if they're still around in five years I can I'll bet really good money that they are not and that they will be in an algorithmic feed yeah because they, they realize would, that they can't make any money yeah exactly yeah but like, oh it's great right now I was like yeah well <laughs> while you're burning VC money it sounds great acquire users and then they say great now we want you to make profits like oh 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 we can't yeah yeah I mean even Snap ran into that problem right and where they're like well let's try to de-emphasize the actual communicating with each other and let's have you experience brand opportunities and even they're they're struggling a bit with that right it's it, it's not an easy thing I mean people don't want to pay for this sort of thing I mean remember when a whole bunch of us had app.net ADN stuff remember mm-hmm. that was that was paid mm-hmm. and it, life was great and then we said hey isn't this just like a lamer Twitter and then we all left yeah well it's still around <laughs> I actually logged into it the other day just to see what was going on on, on the app.net but yeah same idea right that was um, and I, as well Matt and Reese has also started up micro.blog as well a similar idea right where um, and that's a paid system as well where, but so Tim remind me it, does micro.blog support having your own instance like I know Mastodon does but I can't remember off the top of my head if micro.blog does um, I'm not sure what you mean like so oh, like um, you know how WordPress you can have you know, like your site hosted through WordPress yeah, yeah, itself yeah, so or you can like use the open source software and host it on your own server well you can you can post you can post you can link your WordPress site or your other site to it but you can also have like an instance of it on its own like an actual mass or like a uh, sorry micro dot blog account but I think I believe that's a paid like you have to subscribe to it with cash <laughs> okay so it's off of their hosting not um, not using your own hosting like like a right. download micro dot blog yeah. version 1.x and then install it on your Amazon EC2 no, no, instance no, 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 or something no, no. It's, it's it's definitely their their hosting yeah okay okay um i think the other thing related to this facebook post is is kind of pretty in line with a lot of the things we've, we've talked about on the show in terms of you know managing your dependencies and it, it really sucks for that digital publisher because they really hitched their wagon to facebook and they they had their moment in the sun but then facebook said hey for many many reasons we're changing our model and it just wiped out that business and that's not all that different than you know we've talked about people building on parse or building on whatever is out there and having these third-party dependencies you take your risks right like i think that's very much in spirit with a lot of things we said of like hey you you need to have some sort of backup plan if possible and and really mm-hmm. think about it not just be like hey this is great we're just gonna ride this and everything's gonna be great for oh no like we're it cold winter is coming now we're dying um 
I think there's a little bit of lesson to be learned here, even though I think most of us here and, and those out in the listening audience are not uh, digital publishers, but it's it's not all that dissimilar from uh, thinking about things from a technical and, and business perspective. Right. Yep. Yeah. So our next th- thing here was a post by uh, Greg Hugh, actually, that I saw on Twitter. He's talking about, uh, I guess he's reading through the documentation on Swift point four point one, or looking at some of the changes, I guess, in SE075, uh, the idea that um, they're bringing back the um, the pound diff. Is that correct? Am I reading this correctly? I saw that part of it, but it's also the can import. So mm-hmm. like can import UI kit, where right. I think the idea is you have a little bit of an easier way, especially a compile time check to say, like, you know, does this platform even support whatever this is? So sure. I imagine yeah, there being yeah, differences yeah. between iOS and macOS and tvOS, watchOS. Oh, right. you know, or it, even it, like server-side Swift or whatever, right? Yeah, and there's like extensions and stuff too where there's something. I, I don't know. I haven't done much like Today Widget or other sort of extension work, but there are things that are not supported by extensions. And so you don't want to try to import. I don't know. I'm making up something here. I'm going to be totally wrong. I'm like You don't want to import like core motion into your Today Widget because it doesn't support it or something. Right, right. And also a way to test, test whether or not the um, target environment is the simulator as well, right? So That one has me really happy because there are all sorts of weird, dirty hacks you may or may not have to do depending on whether your day-to-day production code normally expects to be on a real device or maybe you're running some sort of test harness in particular is what comes to mind where, okay, well, we want to load this other code if we happen to detect that we are in um, in the simulator um, versus like being on an actual device you know, download from the app store. And this, if I'm reading it correctly, this target environment, like target uh-huh. environment simulator check would make it so much easier to say, all right, if this is a simulator, do X. If it's not, do Y. It just seems a whole lot cleaner to me. Right. It also seems like you can look for OS or architecture as well to see, you know, if those conditions pass as well. Like you said earlier, if you were if you're targeting, say, Linux or something or Mac OS versus, you know, uh, iOS, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one thing that I've seen done for like UI tests, for example, would be to pass in some specific argument that definitively declares, yo, buddy, you're in the testing environment. And so the assumption is if yeah. I don't see that as, as code, then I'm going to assume that I must be running on like a real environment. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's one of those smaller changes that, you know, I don't think they're going to, you're not going to have Tim Cook up there at WWDC's keynote <laughs> talking about it on the slide. You're not going to have, I don't know, Craig Figury. It probably doesn't even make the platform state of the union thing, but it's one of those things I think that's one of those niceties for developers. It just makes everyday development life nicer and you probably sure. don't even notice it once you get used to it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, of course, the big news today, or I guess relative, relatively big news today, which actually not today, but three days ago, four days ago, that uh, it's the 10th anniversary of the iPhone SDK launch from Apple, right? Um, a post here I've got linked from by Craig Hockenberry talks about uh, Icon Factory and, and uh, some of the early apps. That, I remember, I don't remember this, if you've seen this, the um, the site, but there's like a screenshot of a guy in a black shirt uh, introducing the the, um, the iPhone SDK. I remember watching that video and thinking, yeah, it's cool. Went and downloaded it and so on and so forth. But uh, And they go through their, their history of some of the uh, earlier apps that were created back then, you know, uh, early shots from C4, which I think was one of the first conferences for um, iPhone development and talking about, you know, how we had to jailbreak our phones and get into the Unix kernel and um, before the SDK came along, sort of a little bit of walk down history lane, history lane, is that right? Yeah, walk What's down it? history lane. Walk down history lane. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah. So, Mark, when did you first get into uh, iPhone development late, or at least... Uh, late 2008. 
2008. Oh, so you were you were there like on the first uh, first little while anyway? Uh, I didn't publish anything that quickly, but I started working on it in 2008. And I think I published something mid-2009, yeah. the first half, I think. But had you done much um, Objective-C at that point? or No, I hadn't done really much at all. Uh, I had I was doing uh, Python stuff back then. Right. And uh, so I had to learn Objective-C. I had dabbled in Objective-C a little bit because I've always had Macs, you know, and dabbled with uh, doing some OS ten yeah. or whatever it was uh, time uh, development and but uh, but not a whole lot not a whole lot so I, I had to teach myself yeah I really don't remember when so. when I started working with this I'm just gonna log on to my other computer see if I can figure it out mm-hmm. uh, let's see yeah I was kind of late to the party I wouldn't start using the SDK until I think it was July of 2011 mm-hmm. yeah. it was definitely a transition period where a lot of the examples were pre Arc but Arc had just been announced at WWDC like a month prior oh, yeah yeah. Wow. yeah I'm pretty sure I have still you some never, you never experienced all the joys of retain and release and auto release yeah not in any real serious way i mean yeah. certainly my own you know stuff i was writing was was all arc related but mm-hmm. in terms of professional stuff there was just some other like existing code over like a couple of um jobs i did while i was a consultant and even then a lot of it was like well we don't need these anymore just delete this stuff yeah yep. it looks like i have uh let's see so i have some stuff from 2009 oh 2008 oh no it's pdf family hybrid apps from back then whoa that's old oh, I actually have an uh, I guess it must have been like um, what was it called it was PhoneGap originally right the um, hybrid version where you write the, write it in JavaScript and HTML yeah that was yeah, yeah. you did uh, some PhoneGap stuff yeah? when I first well when I first got into it I had a book on um, on how to write uh, yeah it was like a book on I think Jonathan somebody rather um, wrote a book on how to write apps using you know that kind of technology right so hmm. I have an image picker app here from 2010 yeah I can't remember when the first time or what first app I wrote install there's a framework here from 2009 as well. <laughs> Holy but goody. In my first tab bar with a view controller, yeah. we we're still working out how to do the two two for couples apps mm. back in the early, early days. Yeah. Oh, there's a folder here called Ruben. I wonder what's in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's from 2014, though. I remember my impression, my first impression. So given the context that I was doing web development kind of before it was cool again, I guess. It was like in that lull of like it got real cool going into the first uh, dot-com boom and then got kind of less cool in the bust. And I remember thinking, wow, like this iOS thing, like it gives you a lot of stuff like out of the box. So I'm yeah, looking yeah, at this sure. photo in the article here where they have the um, the caption says, the first iPhone app created outside of Apple. And it's like, oh man, you get this like really nice look, professional looking UI, like without having to do anything. And that definitely was not true for web development in those days. No, and that's true. Things have sort of changed now where I'm, I'm shaking my fist at Apple and being like, hey, well, why don't you give us more out of the box? Like, look at all these web guys. You, you basically just... Just like import one thing and you got a website and it all looks professionally well done and it's built on a, a grid layout and everything looks great and swell and here I am busting my chops trying to figure out how to get this you know safe layout thing to work or make sure my fonts like are dynamically resizable and that sort of thing right yeah I also had to write I also did a bit of dash code back in those early days so like I was given a, a dash code book to write a review for so I was doing that some of, some of that stuff too back in the early early days too like making like a like and it would basically create a dash code that would read your website and you know basically show it on the on the phone. Scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Lots of table views and things like that back in the day too. When did a table view controller come out on iOS on iOS or iPhone? Do you remember, Mark? Oh, that was there from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah in the early days, pretty much every app was a table view. <laughs> 
table view inside a navigation controller, some some uh, variation on right, that. Right, right. Well, yeah, there were tab bar apps back then too, right? So yeah, there were tab bar apps. It's true. Remember the, I, the iTunes app was a tab bar app, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. Or maybe Probably. a combination of two, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I just I remember when the iPad first came out. The uh, the holy grail was the split view controller. Mm-hmm. With lots of different ways to do that. Right. I was doing things with uh, view controllers embedded inside other view controllers even back then. It, w- it was kind of frowned upon, but I was I was dabbling with that stuff. It was limited in what you could do. You couldn't do all the stuff that you can do now with with uh, you know, the nice container view controller concepts that they've got. And, you know, the ad child controller and all that kind of stuff. So you really had to hack all the rotation and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, but you could do it. Yeah, I, I've done a little bit of the container view controller stuff, and it's it's definitely nicer than than it was before they like really had support for it. I'm hoping at WWDC coming up in a few months here, I hope they'll make it a little bit easier. Um, maybe not easier to do because it's not that difficult to do. It's more like it's really easy to mess up, which spoilers, I always do. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do it with storyboards, though, it's really pretty trivial. Now, you just use a container view and just embed your other view controller inside of it, and there's no step three. Uh, so it handles all the add child, remove child but stuff. You don't, you don't pretty, do any of that. Yeah, the storyboard handles mm-hmm. all that for you. If you're not doing that, I would claim you're doing it wrong. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's probably that true. <laughs> but it was designed for exactly that purpose. So, you know, you're you're just, you're trying to run with a, with a ball and chain around your foot if you're not using storyboards for that kind of thing. Right, right. I remember, mm, what year was this? This was probably 2012-ish. I distinctly remember an interview where they'd asked me, you know, how many view controllers can you have on the screen at once? And mm-hmm. I was just a wee baby iOS developer. So I, I was like, I don't know, like one. I'm like, aha, well, you'd have your, you know, potentially your tab view controller and you're also your navigation controllers. Oh, okay. I guess I think of those more of like the Chrome, but sure. Like I get it. Yeah. And now that that question would be completely meaningless. Like, I don't know until I run out of memory, <laughs> you know, I yeah, can't address sure. how many yeah. little <laughs> tiny container view controllers are on screen. Yeah. Well, there was a, there was definitely a, a shift uh, in the, you know, the, the official line from Apple on, on how to handle that. I mean, at the beginning, it really was one view controller, one screen. I mean, yes, there were like the containers, like the tab bar and the navigation controller, but, but those were provided by Apple and, and those are the only ones you could, you were supposed to do that with. Uh, but, uh, but the rule of thumb really was one content view controller per screen at the time. And, and it made sense because in the, in the early days, Tim, I don't know if you, if you remember the, the first couple of phones, especially like the, the iPhone three mm-hmm. was, was really low on memory. Yeah. Well, so, the first phone so had 128 megs and it was only, you can only use about yeah. 40 or 50 of it. Right. Right. So if you tried to do a fancy view hierarchy, you were really kind of asking trouble because you were just going to run out, run out of space. But that changed. I don't. I don't actually remember when that changed. Uh, probably around the, the time the iPad came out, uh, where because with the iPad you you were kind of encouraged to have multiple view control content view controllers per screen. Uh, so it was probably around then that the that the you know sort of the uh, the official line changed to it's okay to have multiple view controllers on one screen. Do you remember when that was, Tim? I don't. I don't Say remember. that again. What was that? Well, so remember in the early days there was this very strong official line that said you should have one content view controller per screen. Right. Period. Yeah, and then that changed, uh, and I guess it, actually now that I think about it, it probably was when storyboards came out because from the beginning with storyboards there was the concept of the container view available in the storyboard right. that you could use to embed and, and embed segues were available right from the get go with storyboards. Well, actually, no, the the, 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 um, the oh your collection view I'm thinking of. Um, no, remember the stocks app used to have like it had a table view on top and then it had a sliding view on the bottom like how the stock app is now. It's, it's been like that since the very beginning if i'm not mistaken well but that was probably a scroll view inside of view controller well maybe yeah 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 it's probably a single mm-hmm. view controller at the time i do i but do have an iphone one right 
over there, I could go fire it up and see. <laughs> I still have my uh, original Gorilla Silverback. Yeah. When did Storyboards come out? Was that iOS uh, five, five? I think five. So yeah. That, so that, that makes sense. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, because with iOS four, four was the rebuild. IOS because four was, three was horrible. Was when the Xcode three or Xcode, I'm thinking of Xcode. Yeah, iOS four was yeah, not Xcode four, but iOS four was was the first iPad. And remember, there were two different versions of iOS four for a while. Yeah. There was the iPhone version of iOS four, and there was the iPad version yeah. of iOS four, and they were not compatible with each other. No, I think. I, by the way, I think I think a three point five was the first iPad OS. Pretty sure. Let me just check. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah, I started on I started on three on iPhone three for sure when I was or iOS three when I first started with them doing this stuff. But had the iPad come out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I started on the iPad. I didn't start on the iPhone. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I may be remembering wrong, but I, I I vaguely remember there being a like a iOS four point one, which was the iPad yeah. version, and a four point two or something like that, which mm-hmm. was the iPhone version, and and they eventually got merged. But for a while there, there were actually two completely different versions that, as I said, they they were not compatible with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was it was it was explicitly obvious with the popover view, which was only available on the iPad. And so if you tried to compile a popover for using the iPhone version of iOS four, it wouldn't even compile at the time. It was kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, but they eventually merged them together. So, but anyway, so it, it makes sense that after all those that new stuff came out for the iPad that it would make sense that an iOS 5 is when they had storyboards that kind of started to bring it back all together. Yeah. By the way, I think you're right about the iPhone because it was iPhone 3 was the OS or iPhone OS 3 and it was iOS mm-hmm. 4 was the first uh, when they changed the name. Yeah. Yep. So introduced in 2010 which about the time the iPad the iPad was announced in mm-hmm. February came out in April 3rd which is my sister's birthday 2010. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, makes sense. I've sworn we were it was like a 3.5 or something like that. I'm looking on Wikipedia here to see if I can figure it out. Yeah, it is kind of funny to think back that that the SDK only came out in 2008 and the iPad came out in 2010, yeah. less than two years later. Yeah. But it seemed like there was all this time <laughs> that there was the iPhone before there was an iPad. Yeah, two whole years, and then, man. Yeah, in with with hindsight, it was it was almost almost no time. Yeah, I think it's sort of that difference between having had a decade versus it was a couple years and then this other thing that's been around for days. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why it, it, just, it just sticks in my memory as well. I was like, oh, yeah, it just seemed like iPad came out way later. No, no, we didn't. Yeah. Got it rather quick. Yeah. Okay, so real-time follow-up. Tim is right. Um, the iPad originally shipped with a customized iPad-only version of iPhone OS dubbed 3.2. That may be what you're thinking of. There were hmm. two OSs, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Okay. And then on it September was- 1st, it was announced that right. iPad would get its own iOS 4.2 by November 2000. Oh, maybe you're right there, too, again. So it went from 3.2 to 4.2, and then. Apple released iOS 4.2.1 to the public on November 22nd. So, yeah, so originally shipped on version 3.2 in mm. 2010. Okay. All right. Right, but it was its own release. Like, well, it was, it was still called iPhone OS, but it was a special iPad only version, customized version for iPhone, sorry, iPad. Yeah, that, that was sort of like the thing to do. I don't know if folks remember, but um, on the Android side, when they were trying to catch up to this, um, 3.0 Honeycomb was a tablet only version of android and google like very explicitly did not release the source code maybe they eventually did but um they like held it back because they did not want phone manufacturers to put honeycomb on the the phones because it was like you know they presumably had 
cut scope. It just makes sure it could work as its own special little snowflake on tablets. And it wasn't until Android 4, um, what is that? Jelly bean. Jelly bean? Ice cream sandwich? Uh, yeah, jelly bean. Yeah, it must yeah, be ice cream yeah. sandwich. Yep. It's probably ice cream sandwich because I think, yeah, because... So wait a minute. I had, a, I had the original tablet that came out from Samsung and it ran on the frozen yogurt one. What was that called? Froyo? Froyo, right. Yeah. They had Froyo and gingerbread, uh, honeycomb as tablet only, and then I think ice cream sandwich was the first combined, like recombining oh, having a, see, a singular right. phone OS and tablet OS. Hmm. So not all that dissimilar from iOS were, as we were talking about it, recombining around four point something. Right. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Weirdness. So I had the iBeer app was one of the first apps I had, or iPint, I think it was, for drinking, like it had the beer simulation thing on it. Oh, where you could hold it up and it would, and the uh, the beer would actually go down. Yeah, yeah. And gold change it would go down. Yeah. And it had Jared. And the fly, I had a flashlight app actually as well, believe it or not. And you must have had, uh, what was it called, Around Me? No, I didn't have that one. I, I do remember it though. Yeah. Yeah, I had seen it. And Urban Spoon, that was another Urban one. Urban Spoon I had, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know if anybody did any, like looking back, where are they now, 10 year anniversary sort of things for those first million dollar app folks? <laughs> they, at some point, the, the media got wind of it. They called them the app 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 billionaires. App billionaires. Portmanteau of app really? and millionaires. It's really hard to pronounce. But like, okay, you know, you go find, you know, the fart app person. Oh yeah. And say, hey, where are they now? Do they own a yacht and live on an island in Tahiti? Or well, I mean, that was Marco Armit's sort of one of his claims to fame was that, that he had an early app, right? Didn't he have um, an app that he sold to Twitter or something like that? Or are you talking about Instapaper? Instapaper, they, yeah, they yeah. Sold was to Betaworks and then got resold to Twitter. Uh, not Twitter, Pinterest. Mm. But yeah, but but that sort of thing. His is even sort of later because I think it's like 2010-ish. I mean, I mean, like those first, uh, like this article is talking about, like uh, um, was it Tap Tap Revenge and all these other things yeah. where you know those like first initial ones that really hit it big, and then ten years later, it's like you know VH ones. Where are they now? Sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Where the artists? Tumblr. That's what he wrote. Tumblr, not Instapaper. Tumblr. Right, right. He was uh, part of the early team at Tumblr. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder what happened to those guys. And there was a, the one app that was like the most expensive app in the world. It was like ninety nine dollar. Was it nine hundred ninety nine dollars? It just was like a red, big <laughs> right. red ruby or something like that. It was the icon? Right. See, see, where, that, where's that person? I'm rich, and you can trust your friends. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. I'm rich. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. I've got my Newton sitting here right here too. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. All right, well, let's move on. Um, yeah, so I have a post here about Apple, and this is something to benefit. Well, I guess who's this benefit? Um, I guess it's more important to Americans, but just an article here that Apple is launching its own. They're getting into medicine. They're opening their own clinics um, for the benefit of their employees. It seems right. Um, if they've got a site here called acwellness.com and uh, I guess like you know I guess in, to help uh, their own employees initially right do you guys read this article yeah, I, I mean it, it kind of makes sense when yeah. you have enough employees uh, it, it makes sense to, to do it in house just because the health healthcare is so ridiculously expensive here. yeah yeah uh, and you know Apple or any big company is paying a lot to an insurance company to cover all their employees yeah. and they certainly could save money I mean this, it's almost a no-brainer if you have enough scale you're going to save of money by doing your own insurance internally and, and having uh, you know having your own internal health care it just it just makes sense it's not, it wasn't clear from the article to me at least whether it's going to be their their full health care or is it just they're going to have you know clinics on site where you know they can cut out some of the the, the the simpler things that you would normally have to go to a regular doc 
doctor for, or if there's just like, if you have the flu or something, you could just go to an internal clinic. They can take care of you there. And it doesn't have all the, the overhead of going to your full doctor and paying visit and time off work or whatever. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. It also mentions here that Amazon Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan are, are having a joint venture to do something similar as well. Right. So yeah. how, how many, how many, do we know how many employees there are at Apple? Like, is it like 100,000, 200,000? Well, I guess it depends on whether you include the retail stores. Oh, that's right? true. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't include the retail stores, my guess it would be, you know, 15 or 20,000 people guessing. Hmm. Yeah. They're, they're kind of on the smaller side when it comes to what we traditionally think of as Mark mentions, not the retail people, but if you said, well, just the people producing the product type stuff, right, right. Designers, engineers, marketers, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this also, besides the cost saving, seems like it's a pretty interesting opportunity for them to learn more about things related to this, right? So they're, they're doing sports and fitness, wellness, that sort of thing with Apple Watch. Yeah. And I'm not saying they would be able to do like meaningful studies because if nothing else, their demographics of their own employee base would heavily skew that in the wrong direction. Um, <laughs> but they could at least try out things and say like, oh, what is a major pain point? Why does staying healthy suck? Is there a way that Apple can make that better, right? They can try out and get some feasibility ideas there and then maybe experiment with some things. Yeah, for sure. No, it's an interesting story. That's why I posted it here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, you got a couple here, one about WatchKit. Yeah, we were just talking about Margaret Armand and uh, this is a post on uh, Marco.org about, I mean, I, I brought it in here not so much to talk about the, the content per se, um, about sort of the, the gist of it is um, is baked right into the title, which is uh, WatchKit is a sweet solution that will only ever give us baby apps. Right, right. And his uh, sort of notion there is that uh, this is sort of twofold. One is that WatchKit as we have it is, is fairly limited and Apple's sort of um, pain that it feels out of that isn't really that painful because it's you know, something that they don't have to limit themselves to, right? They don't have to use the same watch kit that we do. Um, not that dissimilar from when we were all complaining about the, um, I forget what the game, Game Center. Mm -hmm. Remember it? Everybody was like, holy smokes, Game Center is awful. Why? Oh, is it because Apple doesn't have any known games? <laughs> you know, they don't get to dog food their own API. Right, right. I think that's sort of Marco's um, sort of premise here. And I don't disagree with it too much, but I think I want to twist it sort of and turn it on its head and say, well, what sort of things do we want to see coming out of WWDC in, in June, just a few short months from now. You know, what sorts of things are you all thinking about? I was like, oh, wow, that would actually be really cool if watchOS did what? <laughs> Read my mind? I don't know. <laughs> uh, had real uh, cellular connectivity? Yeah, I don't know. Can you go more deeper into that? What do you mean real cellular well, connectivity? Well, can we take his opinion? He doesn't even own a watch. Yeah, actually, I don't have I don't have a watch. <laughs> but but is, is it not true that uh, even the cellular connected watches, you can't just uh, use it without a phone and and do whatever you need to do over the cellular network. Well, no, you can you can use it without a phone with a phone without a phone, but it doesn't last that long. Apparently, like an hour or something like that, right? Because there was the back when that first came out, there was an article I posted in the thing. I don't know how much we talked about it, but it was about a guy who you know left his phone in Manhattan and went across this you know the the, the I forget the name of the river there by by New York and and went to New Jersey and was you know, photographed you know sitting you know across the the river there from New from Manhattan. 
Manhattan and was still able to make calls and stuff like that with his with his uh, LTE only watch. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think to Mark's point, I think it's limited. There are things you can do, like you can make phone calls, that you can do text messages. Want to say you can stream Apple Music, if I'm not mistaken, from there. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think it can do things you might reasonably expect, largely related to Siri, the, the ones that come to my mind, like Siri, who won blah, blah, blah back in 1952. Oh, I'm sorry. That's on your phone. It's like, what? Why don't you just read it to me? If it was the phone, you could read it to me. You, I don't need you to show me your browser. You know, just, just tell me who won the 1952 World Baseball, uh, sorry, the World Series in baseball. Yeah. In that case there, I mean, like the, the, the watch itself doesn't do Siri. It, tar- it networks to the, the phone and does it, right? So Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is one of those weird things how Siri is sort of fragmented in that sense and from like a user experience standpoint if if not from a developer standpoint right we have um, the handful of things available in siri kit and i can't remember if, if any of those were going to watch they probably do but <laughs> yeah. um, so i've actually I, I think i've actually been doing some development on, on watch kit lately even though i don't own one myself uh and and there's just there's some stuff in watch kit that is just surprisingly primitive uh for one thing the the debugging tools are just awful trying to mm-hmm. trying to get it to you know when you're networking using a watch and a phone at the same time to transfer sharing data between it's kind of important to be able to debug on both at the same time and it's almost impossible to do it as far as i can tell i mean yeah there is there is a procedure that you're supposed to follow to do it to attach the process i've never been able to get that to work all i can do is uh debug on one side get it working to a i think it's 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 working and then debug on the other side independently and, and cross your fingers and, and uh, hope it works sometimes it doesn't even work because it, it doesn't start the app right order and and starting the phone uh, starting the watch app kills the phone app and it, it's just it's just really really kind of a pain hmm. uh and, and the other thing that just really drives me nuts is that uh you have these interface controllers wk interface controllers which is essentially a view controller for the for watch kit very primitive yeah yeah very primitive you can't even get as far as i can tell you there, there's no such thing as 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 getting a reference to another interface controller from so say you push an interface controller from another interface controller well okay in, in ios you know there's lots of different ways you could you could do that you could you can use segue destination and get a reference to your other view controller and 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 then you can use that reference to push data changes or whatever to your push view controller great that's perfect you can't do that in, in watch kit so you set up your segue and it does the push or you can do it uh through code using using the the name of the using the identifier but you can't ever create a interface controller and so have a reference to it and then push that as far as i can tell and right. if you do it with a segue there's no way of getting a reference to the push view controller so if you want to pass data through it's very clunky I mean, you either have to update the context and reload it or you have to use an ns notification which is which is just really i mean you can you can do it but it's just really clunky so you mean like when you get to the second view the push view you have to go and request that information again from the main app well yeah so so you specifically what i'm talking about is so i i have the the uh i'd like to be able to have i, I use a wk session to communicate with the with the phone yeah uh and i'd like to be able to have just one central uh object or controller of some sort that did all my communications and then fed that back to the to the various view controllers like you would in, in an ios app uh but because i can't get a reference to the different interface controllers i have no simple way of of sending messages to those interface controllers to tell it that i got information unless hmm. i use an, an ns notification right right it's it's really kind of nutty <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean my experience um so i have a apple watch series 3 
Um, it is night and day, the performance between the original Apple watch and this Apple watch. And I don't know, the battery life is fantastic. I probably get, I don't know if I really pushed it, it would probably be slightly over two days where the battery, wow. life. if I went from hundred to drain it all the way. And, and, and to be fair, like I'm not out there running marathons or doing other things that would really tax it. Um, which is a little bit different than my, my first watch, which with the same kind of uses profile would get, you know, a little over 24 hours. Um, I don't even get that. Yeah. It, again, it, it really depends on, on how you're, you're using that. But I think we're getting close enough, or maybe we're already there with whatever next revision of Apple Watches is out there coming up, at least, where hopefully they can reevaluate a lot of these engineering decisions they made that were, as far as I can tell, totally dependent on, we need to make sure this thing has more than 20 minutes of battery life, right? <laughs> like, it needs to it needs to last. So, like, we'll be real aggressive at making sure we conserve every little bit of CPU and battery and everything. Hopefully, we've gotten to the point where that's a little bit less of a problem, and, you know, people are, are less shocked at the fact that they might have to recharge their watch every day just as they do their phone every day where they can say okay let's treat it more like um you know less of an embedded platform and more of like this is a serious actual uh processing platform just like the iphone and ipad are serious processing platforms and let's see what they can do then right so i think some of the things mark is running across were probably meant to be like well we don't want to have a bazillion things in memory because that's just going to chew up battery life like nobody's business yeah i kind of wonder if if the, the whole watch product was really conceived as a hardware product that Apple was shipping, uh, and originally it, it wasn't really meant to be a development platform. But but some someone in the you know in the in the product definition stage said, look, there's no way we can get away with pushing out this product without letting developers have access to it. Because right, yeah. remember the stink we got when we pushed the iPhone out and developers didn't have access. The world went crazy, and and uh, and, and and we had to we had to you know build iOS. Uh, so so we Apple can't push this product out without having. So they came up with something push it out but but they never really really took it that seriously and it, it kind of has that feel to it it doesn't feel complete it kind of feels basic kind of like what marco was saying it, it feels like it's a kind of a baby operating system it's like here here's something to go to go play with guys just you know don't don't claim to us that you can i kind of wonder i don't know yeah i uh, i'll certainly fess up to the fact that i have proclaimed on this very podcast um that i think watch watch kit 1.0 i think it was called like that was a, another disaster i think they should not have shipped it mm. um, at all because watchOS 2 was so radically different and it was clearly the much better way of doing things, as clunky as it is that we just described. Yeah, yep, yep. I, I think the context that they were coming from to give them sort of the benefit of the doubt, give Apple the benefit of the doubt, is they were under a ton of pressure, as Mark was mentioning, because Android Wear had already been out for like a year, maybe a year and a half by the time the Apple Watch actually shipped, where it already had apps, because because of course it did, because Google loves to experiment with that sort of thing, whether it's a terrible experience or not. They don't care. They just <laughs> want to get it out there. They're, they're like, throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Um, the context is a little different now where it's like, well, Android Wear is dying on the vine. Like either manufacturers are pulling support. They're not producing new devices. Qualcomm, I think, is not making new processors or, or something related to it. I remember reading about that. Like it, it is basically becoming smartwatch is Apple Watch. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's really successful. Like I'm, I'm amazed to, to be clear in case anybody's you know, out there wondering um, in the listening audience, like the Apple Watch is like really successful. It has become much more prevalent um, and, and clearly their sales are you know, proving that so it's the best so it, it is but, where like apple is like taking over this whole this whole market and we'd like to see them do more with it so it's the but best be of really a bad lot at this point see, yeah it'd be really interesting to see some statistics on on usage of the apple watch do people use predominantly use the built-in apps or do they use third-party apps i bet it's mostly the, the built-in mm-hmm. what do you guys well we yeah have, we have two people right well here so for watch. me for me it's all about notifications and then a little bit of health monitoring and, and telling the time and checking the web 
weather and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. there's only one or two. I, there's only one app I really kind of use, but most of the time it's just just keeping. It's like a, just a heads up display for my phone, right? Right, right. So what do you think, Jaime? I just took a quick list through, look at the list of all of my stuff, and I don't. know, I'm the weird digital pack rat. I still literally have every <laughs> Apple Watch app that I've ever installed, other than the handful that's like, yeah. well, this is garbage, and I don't want to use it. If I've used it at least twice, it's still on my Apple. Yeah, Watch. I have a ton of apps. But on when mine I look too, at the list, I don't use them, right? Yeah, when I look at the list, I'm like, no, everything I use to, to Mark's point is like, yeah, they're all yeah. native apps. To mm-hmm. They're part of WatchOS itself. They're not third-party apps. I think the last one I was using for sort of any sort of serious amount of time was um, the one for Overcast to listen to podcasts. And even that one was like, no, the, the music or media player, whatever that uh, particular thing, it's gotten good enough and it, it pops up at the right time when I'm actually playing a podcast. So I have all the controls I roughly need. And if I really, really need to change the order of my podcasts that I'm listening to, well, I just hop into the iPhone app and do it right then because it's a whole lot quicker and easier to do. Yeah, I don't know what the figure with the features called. What like now when you I think it's like whatever recent thing you're looking at, like whatever app you're running when you when you flip your watch up and now it's instead of just showing you some other lame thing like the time or whatever, it actually shows you a heads up on on that app. Like if I'm listening to a podcast, like you said, like with the uh, uh, podcast app, or if I'm using Audible or something like that, it gives me you know I can look at it and see what the name of the song is playing on my iTunes for instance, right? Things like that. And as during the day, if I get a notification like from my inbox, I have a couple of mail apps on my phone, and you know I have my calendar alarms, or somebody sends me a text message, I can just look at my watch real quickly and, and look at it, right? So yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I occasionally use the messaging app on the phone on the watch to, to send a message or to scribble a message or something like that. But yeah, I, I mean, other than using the the swarm app to check in at the dog park when I'm walking the dog, I really don't use the watch apps themselves, right? Other than than for display. Yep. So I mean, like again, like I mean, I know I, I looked at you know building a couple of watch apps at the very beginning, and I went through WatchKit 1.0, and I might have looked a little bit at 2.0, but I never, I've never really gotten anywhere beyond you know creating a couple of views. Really, you know, it's just challenging. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit painful to use. It really is. Yeah. Well, I mean, so are you? Do you have a, a demo watch that you're working with at the office or something like that? Or I do. Yeah, it's it's a Series Two. Oh, Series watch. Two. Okay. Yeah. So not the latest and greatest, but. So did you have a two, Jaime, or you went right from the one to the three or the zero? to three zero to three i it's so confusing because the series one came out at the same time as the series two and was essentially uh the the cheaper but better replacement to the zero yeah series zero the the og the original gangsta (laughs) uh, (laughs) apple watch um so the the jump for me was was pretty dramatic i've I've heard it's still pretty big from a series two to series three but it it is enormous enormous like i've I've had both right because i didn't actually i still need to go unpair my other old one but just put them side by side i was like wow this this thing cannot keep up um the old one is i mean it, it's like pulling out i don't know it feels like pulling out like an original iphone and iphone 10 and just laughing at how pathetically slow that thing is well yes time has gone on you know it, it was it was great then but with apple watch it's kind of less true it was always kind of weird and clunky um but the series 3 is way better like it is just so much faster mm, yeah well let's bury the watch for now <laughs> yeah all right well i guess we'll uh we'll do our picks now so um i have a couple of quick ones real quick and, and i don't even know if this is a real product or not but uh james frost who uh one of the one of the guys i follow fellow colleague on one of the um, tech blogs i write for um he posted a shot from a um i believe it's from a conference he was at uh, one of the try twice swift actually from natasha the robot i guess he retweeted her her uh her tweet here and it looks like charles proxy software running on ios which if that's a product that's going to see the light of day it looks really cool yeah. so i don't know if you guys, if you guys use charles proxy at all but uh i, don't. I have 
um, on, on macOS, and it would be pretty exciting. I, I don't know the context here, but if you could run Charles OS and have a more disconnected, sort of free-range environment yeah. on iOS, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the challenges for, for us at uh, where we currently work is um, is getting communicating between, you know, the, the devices um, because we have such a mixed network of, you know, some stuff's secure, some, some stuff is sort of guest networky kind of stuff. It's tough for us to, to test, but we use Charles Proxy to check our, you know, check responses and requests and stuff like that, right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, so it'd be kind of cool if it uh, is a real product. I don't know who the speaker was, but uh, I assume somebody working, coming from Charles was talking about it. But yeah, I was looking forward to that. Let's keep an eye on that one. That was a real quick uh, uh, hit for me, if that's a if that's a, sh- a pick. Um, my second pick is real quick. I've been playing Alto's Odyssey um, recently, and I was listening to Spark um, CBC Radio this weekend. Their episode, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But So they talked to one of the developers uh, who was here in Toronto from um, from the company. There, It's a, a combination between, um, it used to be Snowman software, but it's uh, something else, Alto, something or other uh, company. And I should grab my phone and just look it up on there. But uh, it's a combination of um, uh, a Toronto company and a an, uh, British company working together to produce this next version called Alto, Alto's Odyssey. So very similar game to um, Alto's Adventure, to be honest with you. Um, just a little, little changed up a bit. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a really relaxing game. I don't know if you guys have ever played it or tried it out. I believe... I played the original a lot. I've not tried the new yeah, one. Yeah, and I believe that there's... Uh, like, the original one also had an Apple TV app, right? So I would assume that's the same for this. Yeah, so they're talking... Yeah, so um, brainchild of a Toronto game developer and a British artist. Game designer Harry Nesbitt. Alto's, he was the person... He's, oh, Ed, Ed, Eli Clement is the person here at Alto's Odyssey that they uh, talked to. But that's cool. So check that out on the App Store. Actually, it's, I think it's one of the first apps that I uh, did a pre... What do you call it? Pre-purchase or... You know where you you buy in advance of um, launch? Oh, what yes. That? What what did they end up calling? Did they call it something? On? So you can so like in the gaming world, this would be a pre-order. Yeah, but they end up calling pre-order. it the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those deals where they guarantee the price won't go up or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was about right. six bucks Canadian, something like that. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah. Oh, and and the other thing, I don't know if you saw the the Sil- Silicon Valley uh, season five trailers out. Mark, have you seen that one? Yeah, didn't I? Wasn't that my pick a few weeks back? Uh, was it? Oh. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Okay, but did you know there's a hidden message in it? No, I did not know that. Ah, so that's my pick. It's a hidden message written in binary in the in the, um, in the the trailer. You have to go watch that. Oh, okay. So the, the trailer where, where <laughs> Hendrix is in the hospital and the guy says, you've been in a coma for six years or whatever, that's the, the trailer? Oh, it might have been a different trailer. Oh. might have been a different trailer. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes for the people at home, but I'm not going to spoil the message for it. Well, you can probably find out what the message is if you go online in a minute, but yeah, it's an, it's an interesting little challenge if you want to try and figure it out on your own. I'll, I won't spoil it for people. They can go figure it out themselves. All right, so Jaime, you got a pick? Yes, I have a couple picks. The first one is from the folks at Google. It's called Google AI, mm-hmm. and it's apparently um, this resource they have that's based on this machine learning um, course or training. It's a little unclear because I haven't started this myself, that Google itself uses to get its employees up to speed and, and sort of give you like a, a crash course, like a, a quick boot camp on what it's all about. So I think it's probably going to be overall less rigorous, I would guess, than some of the other things that like Greg and Mark, Mark yeah. have taken, like the more academic courses. I think this is more of like, all right, you know, your your boss tells you, you need to be doing cool stuff with machine learning by like the end of the month. Okay, what do I do? You know, sort well, of Well, here's thing. one up your alley. It says the seven steps of machine learning. <laughs> cool, cool. The Hello World app or the TensorFlow workflows. Yeah, and my understanding is it's free. I'm guessing it probably uses free account-based sort of things for a Google Cloud platform underneath the cover somewhere. So just thought it would be something cool for people to 
check out. I think it's going to be on my list when I get some downtime. Oh, they have a link here. Uh, called, run through uh, this. The Google Machine Learning Crash Course under under same link that you posted yeah, here. It's probably based on TensorFlow, I would think. Yeah. Yes, it looked like it was based on TensorFlow as the sort of specific how. Um, given it's Google technology, it sort of makes sense. As we've talked about, it should be able to pump out Core ML compatible networks anyway, so it, uh, neural networks. So it seems like it would still be usable within your iOS apps, even if you didn't want to use, what do they call it, like TensorFlow Lite or TensorFlow mm-hmm. Mobile, whatever the on-device version is. Right. So on and the, the tin, co- it says... map process anyway, even if, even if it's not exactly the right uh, technology. Yeah. On the tin, it says 40 plus exercise, 40 plus exercises, 25 lessons and 15 hours of content. So you had some work cut out, right. work cut out for you. Yeah, there. And on this blog post, it says that our engineering education team originally developed this fast-paced practical introduction to ML fundamentals for Googlers. And so far, more than 18,000 Googlers have enrolled in this. And, they've, and then they talk about what they've used it to, you know, enhance their daydream devices, build virtual reality for Google Earth, so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, there's like a bazillion different things that you could do with machine learning. And um, again, it looks like this is, uh, seems to be a fairly decent resource to, as far as I could tell. I've, right. I've not done this sort of thing, so I'm certainly not an expert in it by any means, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in trying this out. But it doesn't say how many of those 15,000 actually finished the course. <laughs> 18,000 Googlers have enrolled in MLCC. 10 yeah, <laughs> finished the yeah. entire course. You know, this is the part they didn't put in there. Is that what you say? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Checked enough boxes that their bosses stopped bothering them about it. <laughs> All right. So before we go, we got some uh, some announcements here, Jaime and Mark and Greg. Greg's not here. I'll do Greg's for him. Sure. Um, since I was doing the other pick, let me continue my pick, I guess. The other pick, I have, and we'll have this link absolutely in the show notes for those of you driving at home, because there's no way I'm going to read it on the air. It's it's too crazy and unpronounceable. Um, but we are hiring at uh, my job at Simple Finance. We're hiring for a uh, senior iOS engineer or developer, depending what part of the country you come from. And uh, that is a very critical thing. So Tim and I were uh, chatting about this fact because other people have asked. Um, this is a remote-friendly job, so you can, you know, if you happen to live in Portland or if you go uh, live in Portland, that's great. If you want to work remotely like I do from the Seattle area or other areas of the United States. And that's that's very clear. Mm -hmm. It's not remote in the, like anywhere in the world. If I was in Hawaii, could I work at at, uh, Simple? Are you eligible to work within the confines of the U.S.? I I don't know. I mean, like, so I'm just asking, is it the continental U.S. or like can Puerto Rico and Alaska and and, uh, Hawaii people apply for this job? It's not continental U.S. So those are really good questions that I honestly don't know the answer to. It's not continental. I know that for sure. So if you were uh, in Alaska or Hawaii, that would be totally cool. Puerto Rico, that's a good question. I would have to defer to our, Puerto uh, our management. Oh. Short end of the stick in, I'm telling you. I have no idea. But the, the clear thing is, unfortunately, you know, uh, Canadians, people from the UK, yeah. Germany, China, wherever it is, like you, you definitely have to be um, based in the United States of America yeah. and, and eligible to work in the United States of America. Yep. But other than that, it's very remote friendly. So there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, this part of the continent that people can apply to. So click that link, put your hat in the ring. Um, if you're even vaguely excited about working with somebody like me, and certainly you've probably by now listened to many hours of me talking, so this is more or less what I'm like at work too. <laughs> <All right. laughs> for better or worse, so I guess. So with the job, the MTJC job board there, Mark, do you have something here for us? So yeah, I, I mentioned this uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we also are hiring at Skydio. We're looking for not only an iOS engineer, but uh, an Android engineer and, and actually many, many other jobs as well. Uh, if you're interested in doing machine learning or computer vision or, or just working on some cool hardware, uh, give me a call or give me a, an email. All right. Or follow the link that's in the show notes. Or follow the link. And mention Mark. Um, and our friend of the show, Greg Heo's company, Topic Topology Eyewear, which we've talked about on the show.
show as one of our picks in the past. They are also looking for, um, I believe, an iOS developer. Let's click on the link and see what it says. I didn't click the link he sent us earlier. Yes, they are looking for... Look at Greg without without this tracking link. How are they even going to know that it was Greg that was the person well, who... Well, we'll tell them to mention Greg know. or whatever. But anyway, so yeah, there's a link on, on the angel.co for this uh, company as well. But the senior iOS developer... Sorry, senior iOS engineer, as they call them in the United States. A graphics programmer and a growth marketer. And of course, there's a video here of uh, Alexis uh, that you can watch and see what your fearless CTO leader will be like to work with. Brilliant guy, by the way. So, yeah. And Tim, is TD hiring by any chance? TD's always hiring, Mark, as you know. So, yeah, there's a, there's job boards at TD as well. We're always so looking for mobile developers. Like, hmm? Seems like it's a good time right now to be an iOS developer. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's funny like that you mentioned that, but there's been a lot of um, stuff in the news. I haven't really talked about it much on the show much, but there's a lot of news about people moving to Toronto and Toronto becoming a, you know, a technology, well, Toronto is already a technology hub, but but a lot of companies are moving their, you know, head offices. We, we're still in the, con- we're contender for the Amazon head office as well, still, um, or our second head office, I guess. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of technologies and companies are moving to Toronto. I think Toronto's a kind of an up and coming place to be if you're going to be an iOS or mobile developer of any type, right? So let's see what happens. Well, I was talking about in general. I mean, here, I'm here in Silicon Valley. I mean, it's up in well, the positions in Portland and you're in Toronto and across the board, everybody's hiring. Yeah, yeah. Could be good. Definitely seems pretty hot if, you know, other job postings that I've seen and just recruiters reaching out to folks and everything. It's um, certainly not a bad time to be an iOS engineer, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, hey, how many people want to get a hold of you on the interwebs? Where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com or if you're interested in, in talking about the positions we have open, Mark at skydio.com. All right. And as I said at the top of the show, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. It's the best way to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We were chatting a little bit about this during the pre-show before uh, Mark showed up. Yeah. The you were asking me, Tim, about my time at the Lead Developer yeah. Conference in yeah. Austin. Um, it was it was great. I was thoroughly impressed by how professional their whole setup uh-huh. was. Um, they have like an event squad for the organizers. Mm. It's 
I don't fully understand the relationship, but I think there is the lead developer conference that happens to be executed and implemented by like wide October events. I might have that name incorrect. It's in my email somewhere, but it's this crew of folks who came from the UK and just very excellently took care of everything. You know, they got the stage all set up. Um, they had everything for the speakers. Like it was very clear. We had our home, like, you know, speaker sort of, um, like PDF document that described, you know, when are you going on stage? When are you going to go get, um, tested for your mic ch- uh, check mm. and set up and last checking of slides. Um, even stuff of like, you know, they had a dude in a suit <laughs> driving a Tesla, picking me up from the airport. I didn't have to get a cab or an Uber or jump on the train or something nice. just top notch, you know, a speaker goodie bag and, um, you know, the speaker stuff like, you know, paid dinners and paid, uh, what do you call it? Like happy hour type stuff with the speakers and they're, they're paid all my expenses. It's hotel airfare. I need to submit whatever my receipts are for stuff that wasn't covered somehow mm-hmm. and get some sort of honorarium on top of that. Wow. Like it's just so, so incredible of an experience. And granted what I was giving was a technically just a 10 minute lightning. Really? Talk. So I was really impressed that they like went out of their way for all of that. Wow. wow. It's yeah, it is. Sorry. What was, it was that? only roughly a 200 person conference and they did all that. Yeah. Wow. And, and when I calculated it out, it was like, I think the early bird ticket sales were 500 and the late bird sales were 800. So you're talking a hundred to 160 K from the attendees. Hmm. Um, and of course they had sponsors and I have no idea what the, the sponsors chipping in were, but you can fly a crew from the UK to set up all this stuff. And they, they videotaped the, uh, the sessions they, we had like, you know, wireless mics, like as if we were Britney Spears up there on stage <laughs> sort of thing. Um, a, a three monitor setup for the speakers. So you could see the current slide, uh, speaker notes and the countdown timer. Uh, you're not like, you know, looking over at your laptop to see how things are going sort of thing. Cool. Yeah. Which means, of course, uh, the only <laughs> the only snafu that, that we ended up happened, uh, having was during of my course. talk. Yeah, in the 10 minutes that you <laughs> so had. So I was the sec- yeah. Yeah, it was second to last talk of the mm-hmm. day. Um, I go up on stage. I'm probably two minutes into my talk and my mic goes out. I thought, hmm, well, maybe I just had a dodgy mic because it was already sort of not really fitting me that well right. as it was. And so the, uh, the conference chair gives me her hand mic that she was using, you know, had used just two minutes ago to introduce me to the right. crowd. And I used that for maybe 30 seconds and that one went out. No way. And we were all confused. Um, but eventually uh, the mics started working again and I just rolled with it. And I ended up repeating a section a couple of times. So hopefully in post, they can fix that for the YouTube video. Um, I just rolled through with it and they came up, you know, they apologized to me afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry about what happened. We, we, we were confused. We thought we'd had a bad setup. And it turns out that AT&T was in town because South by Southwest was coming up the following week. And apparently they had chosen that time to fire up all of their equipment oh, nice. and do checks they, to they see like for cellular coverage and everything for the, the huge conference, you know, whole festival. And I, that just happened to be when, when my stuff was going on. And that's why it was such a short period of time. Nice. But um, they told me that they were uh, very impressed with my ability to just roll with it and, and had, you know, conference attendees in the happy hour afterwards tell me that they were uh, pretty pleased with the content and also the fact that I just like 
didn't lose my cool under uh, <laughs> well, you're a professional kind of a podcaster. Condition. Come on, <laughs> that's what I told people. I was like, hey, you, you know, you, uh, you don't realize. Like, I've been doing this for like three and a half yeah. years, and guess what? Skype and Zoom, they don't always work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we just randomly cut out, and you guys have to learn to roll yeah. with it. And yeah, it's a little different because the podcast is not live in real time, so we can we can edit it out. But then you know, we put the pre-show or the after-show, the funny part, where it's like, oh look, here's a part where we lost Mark because he turned on the bear VPN. <laughs> we just started laughing. <laughs> so he gets cut off, you know? Like, he just deal with bear, it. by the way. Tunnel bear. Tunnel bear. Yes, thank you. Tunnel bear. I don't know how, but I, I got duped into... I, I bought a full year subscription of Tunnel Bear. I was just thinking about all the nonsense that's going on. We have all this... Um, I don't know if you have it down there, but we, we're having issues with our net neutrality here in Canada. Um, yep. our, our major, major... One of our major suppliers has decided that, you know, we don't need net neutrality. So and it's apparently going to affect all of us. So As has our FCC. Yeah, not too bad. Just, we could celebrate together. We can commiserate together. Yeah, yeah. And you too are also soon going to enjoy CBS All Access. Me? Just a matter of time, Tim. Oh, really? Just a matter of time. Mean, they say like that Netflix is still going to keep Discovery, but I can't see that going beyond whatever their initial contract was. Oh, you're talking about the post that, that you guys were talking about today on uh, between you and Jonathan? Yeah, that CBS All Access is coming to oh, is Canada really? oh. and, and somewhere else. I can't remember where the other place was. Um, and honestly, like it, I, I cut off my service because discovery is in hiatus you know until next season yeah. so I, I can't imagine how they're going to sell it well in those Canada. of you who are following Spotcast and haven't watched discovery yet but apparently you can sign up and binge and like we were talking about um before that we left for our season break there you can binge uh, the whole season at once now i saw a post by them last week about that so cool cool so mark you should check it <laughs> out mark yeah speaking of binging time i've been watching peaky blinders oh isn't that horrible i mean you can't put it down right yeah 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 I've, i'm five episodes in i'm so oh really? Yeah. yeah. It just it it's like you know you, you watch an episode and you're like oh man that was really good I wonder what happens next and the next one's like even better like yeah 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 kind of the Sopranos set in or the early 1900s it's, it's yeah it's it's Breaking Bad the Sopranos in Dalton Abbey mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's really good it's it's from the and it's funny like like see the haircuts all these guys have right like when you walk around tomorrow at, you know at the office and you see all the twenty and thirty year olds running around with with the same haircut and you and they don't even know that's what it comes from. Mm. Speaking of cars, so so I was at the car show. We had our annual car show just what two three weeks ago, right? And I went on the Thursday with the grandson. Like, and um, apparently the Canadian government is giving fifteen thousand dollars as a rebate if you switch to an electric car, right? So if you think about it, like the what the Tesla S or something. What's the new model? It's I didn't realize it was relatively inexpensive, like thirty grand or something like that. The Model Three, the one that's like yeah, the more that family is? car yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and or there was even like a smart car for I think the smart cars were thirty two and they ended up being sixteen thousand or eighteen thousand. You know, which you know if you think about it, it's comparable with the with the rebate that their Ontario government is offering, or I guess it's Ontario government um, are offering. It's actually pretty reasonable, right? So I don't know if you guys know any Tesla owners, but like a friend of mine, I went to a, like a, a like a twenty um, fifth anniversary thing for a company that a friend of mine is at, and he's now the president of the company, and he was telling me like the it's ridiculously low the cost of electricity for these cars. 
cars. I don't know if you guys have any experience with that. Yeah, I like, know a bunch of people have them, and they they swear by them. Yeah, super cheap. And then and then like we have places like IKEA here, where if you go to if you go to the IKEA parking lot, not only not only do you get the premier parking spot like right up against the building, like normally where the you know uh, wheelchair accessible and and the pregnancy slots are, that's where the electric ones are, right? You get free charging too. Yeah, it's like that. A lot of stores, like even the local grocery store, like Fred Meyer has that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know how it works there on, on the other side of the wall, Tim, but here. <laughs> <laughs> here in Merca, uh, the rich we get richer up here. <laughs> there, there aren't poor, poor people driving around in Teslas. That's for damn sure. And they get the front no, parking no, space at the here. grocery store. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, it's definitely a premier premier thing. But I mean, like, we think about it. Like, I was thinking about, okay, well, you know, if I get an electric car, I have to plug it in every night. But then I got to plug my my iPhone in every night. You know, and I got to plug my watch in every night. What's what's the difference plugging your car in every night, right? So you need a, a uh, higher voltage plug. Yeah, yeah, so for you sure. Might have, might have to have an electrician come out and put that in. Yeah, well, most of the most of the people like there's a couple of Teslas in my neighborhood and they, they literally have in their front like because we par- we have street parking here right so fortunately the guy one of the guys who has a Tesla parks on the same side as as his house and so in right in his front lawn he's got like an electrical box you know with a, with a bucket over top to keep the rain off of it but yeah it literally mm-hmm. and he's got like a um, one of those cable covers that goes over top of the cable so you know he can he can run it across the sidewalk and plugs his car in every night you know sort of thing I'm surprised cool. people aren't like doing the electric vehicle equivalent of uh, sipping gas out of like cars and stuff where yeah. you know, those stations are like plugging in. Yeah. Well, you know, so you plug in your car, you make sure your car is charged. Great. But then, you know, you stay just a little bit longer at the grocery store and you pull out the little like, you know, uh, not gas tank, the the gas can equivalent plug, yeah, yeah. that makes itself look like it's another Tesla car and you plug in, you get that sucker charged up. And then Tim, yeah. you're paying for, for electricity for your Apple watch and your iPhone, like a chump when you could be just getting it for free at Fred yeah, Meyer free, yeah. and bring it at home. I, I was just thinking, why don't those cars have like a USB port so if I'm running low on juice I can just you know flip up a little thing and charge my phone while I'm walking home right <laughs> <laughs> like those uh, those uh, well at our train stations they have like you know USB ports and stuff like that right so sponsored by the company I work for as a matter of fact Hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.